to people that uh, have never taken an interest in the gun world, this may sound radical, but really, if you if you carefully think things through, there's no reason to have to to bar gun ownership from anyone because here's why: because honest people aren't a problem. People that aren't honest, the uh, criminally inclined, they're going to get whatever they want anyway. And they're, they're willing to do things that are already illegal, such as rob or murder. And looking at uh, pretty much every nation in the world where, uh, where guns are most freely available, those are the areas that have the least amount of crime because the honest people are always going to be the majority. And if a majority of people are armed or have the ability to be armed, uh, bad people are going to be quickly stopped if they attempt to do something terrible. Freedom is where there's neither tyranny nor anarchy, where the government works to keep people free. The PPC won't lock us down in a big nanny state. They'll leave us in peace to make this country great. Hello, this is John C.A. Manley with the Perth Wellington Association of the People's Party of Canada. It's the very first episode of our new podcast, The Purple Microphone with Wayne Baker. We decided to start the first episode with a bang by talking about guns. Many people think it's a virtue not to own a gun and that guns are a danger to society. But our guest today makes many logical arguments for why the two million plus private gun owners in Canada are fulfilling a moral duty to help keep their homes, communities, and our country safe. Dennis Dill has over 55 years of experience owning and firing guns, starting with his first air gun at age eight. By age 15, he purchased over the counter a Remington Nylon 66 rifle with a 14 round capacity at Canadian Tire. Dennis is a member of the International Defensive Pistol Association. He's attended gun matches in Ontario and throughout the USA. Dennis has even participated in numerous machine gun and pistol competitions at the Knob Creek Gun Range in Kentucky. And Dennis also lives in Perth County and is a supporter of the People's Party of Canada. In this very first episode of the Purple Microphone, I joined Wayne Baker, the PPC candidate for Perth Wellington, for an in-depth conversation with Dennis Dill about the immorality, the immorality of restricting gun ownership in Canada. Here's just a sample of what you'll hear. Why banning guns doesn't address mental illness and the evil behind mass murder. Why criminals will always get hold of guns, making almost any form of public gun control frivolous wasteful and immoral. How gun ownership prevented Japan from landing on the west coast during World War II. Why gun registration serves no logical purpose and could cost innocent people their lives if Canada was ever invaded. Why police officers should have no more right to carry a gun than a law-abiding person. Without further ado, here is part one of the interview with Dennis Dill on the immorality of restricting gun ownership in Canada. Dennis, good to see you. Nice Thank to see you. you today, Wayne. Thank you for being here. Can you maybe give us a little bit of a outline, background, a little bit of uh, your background and reason you're here? And... I've been a lifelong conservative type person, a former dairy farmer and a lifelong gun owner. And gun ownership to me is, is extremely an important issue for, for Canadian society. And, uh, and current government is intruding on uh, our rights in that regard. And uh, that's, that's largely uh, what I would like to talk about. Now, what, why you said it's an important issue? Why is it important? Because much as, uh, as one hears uh, Americans speak of this, 
uh, of gun ownership being um, important to society, gun ownership is actually a God-given right that all of us have in that uh, we all have a God-given right to self-defense, defense of our family, and defense of private property, whether, uh, whether our government recognizes that or not. And uh, that is why um, uh, gun, uh, the recognition of our gun rights is important. I don't think a lot of people realize either um, how many Canadians own guns. They think it's an American thing, and a lot of people think Canadians don't have many. Well, the stat I saw was we have, we're, we rank number five in the world for countries with gun ownership. Mm -hmm. that, is, that is very true. Do you know how many? It's actually unknown because a great ah. many... <laughs> well, officially. <laughs> officially. I've heard two million. Do you think uh, that's about it's, right? The official number is at least two million, but but uh, truly the number is far far higher because uh, a great many gun owners in this country um, aren't willing to go through the, uh, the the bureaucratic hassles, the cost, and the uh, and the time it takes to attempt to be a legal gun owner. So yes, there are far more than, uh, than an official number would indicate. Okay, we're going to have to play this little clip for you. It's like, you know J.P. Sears, right? I certainly do. It's him doing, uh, I'm just going to play a segment. Uh, just going to play a segment from it. He's portraying the views of the left on guns, and I'd like to get your feedback about what you think. So what do you think about what's going on? Well... In response to the mass shooting, just as the media is directing me to, I'd like to jump to the conclusion that we should ban all guns before I have a chance to think about how that only affects law-abiding citizens while doing nothing to address the underlying cause of mental illness and evil behind mass shootings. Yeah, I think we should ban guns too. Yes, it would make a lot of sense to have people with guns take our guns. But sometimes I think, whoa, wait a minute there, extremists. Just hear me out. Sometimes I think if they want to outlaw guns in order to prevent murder, why don't they just outlaw murder? They already have. And the criminals still break the law? They do. Then are we sure the criminals that break the law would be willing to just obey a new law about guns? I think we're supposed to just think so. I mean, I can only assume that someone who's willing to murder another person would probably have a moral compass that says, hey, Killing a person is great and all, but possessing an object I'm not supposed to, that's just crossing a line. Not gonna do it. Makes sense when we look at it through the lens of that very limited, unlikely perspective. Sure does. Instead of waiting for the leftists who politicize the tragic loss of life to convince the media, to convince the masses, to convince the government to confiscate our guns, Maybe we should just voluntarily turn in our guns. Yes, and maybe we should turn in all our food and private property rights too, just to be safe. I'm pretty sure that's already in process. You know, one alternative theory to what the media is telling us- Whoa, hold it right there, extremist! Good point. But just stay with me for a second on this one. One theory is that power-hungry authoritarians use PSYOP programs like MKUltra to program mentally unstable people to do mass shootings so the authoritarians can then politicize them and justify to the public why guns are being taken. And then they have total tyrannical control over citizens who cannot defend themselves against them. Okay, Mr. Tinfoil Hat. Now, PSYOPs and MKUltra might be proven programs that the government has used, but they're just conspiracy theories. You think so? Yeah, I think calling those realities conspiracy theories as their subjects that I do not understand is a viable way of engaging in intellectual discourse about them so that I don't have to do any research beyond the current level of knowledge that I already have. I'd also like to discount those realities as conspiracy theories because it's just easier than starting the journey of learning about what I don't currently know about. And by being unwilling to learn about anything new, that's how we grow more certain of ourselves. <laughs> so, after that strong argument to get rid of guns, what would you say? J.P. Sears nailed it perfectly. Perfectly. There's no logical reason for honest people to give up their guns, to, to, to be barred from gun ownership. 
And criminals will always get what they want anyway. That makes, that makes uh, gun control frivolous. It makes it immoral. I think the uh, United States Depe Department of Defense says that 7% of criminals attain their guns legally. Mm -hmm. And that's only first-time criminals. <laughs> <laughs> There's uh, some interesting um, broader perspectives as well. Um, the reason Japan chose not to invade the Western United States during the Second World War is because Japan knew that there was massive gun ownership along the West Coast, mm. and they knew that they weren't dealing with a, a military that would stop them. They were dealing with a civilian force that would stop them. And so that alone prevented um, some pretty nasty things from happening to the Western, Western United States. So Japan was in a position to, to actually uh, pursue um, for a while the uh, um, landing on, on the Western coast of the U.S., but they, they, they felt it was more, more advantageous to go south and into China. So um, I, I think that's a very interesting perspective. Um, also, another perspective I, I found was with uh, um, Ben Shapiro commented once that both the left and the right insist on gun, having guns. Hmm. The left insists on the government having control of the guns. The right insists on private gun ownership. And I, I spend a lot of time with some of my American friends, and I feel quite safe when I'm with them. And I know they're carrying. Um, some are very obvious, some are more subtle. But um, I feel quite safe when I'm around them. There's, um, there's an inherent respect for guns and what they can do. Um, without guns as a normal part of our society, that respect goes away. Mm. Absolutely. I recall that the Japanese, the military leadership at the time, uh, they were quoted as saying something like, they wouldn't attempt invading on land the United States on the west coast because there'd be a gun behind every blade of grass. That was a quote. <laughs> it's like kicking a porcupine. Only a lot worse, but the, from a military perspective, that's what they like, is you know, kicking a, a porcupine. They could probably overwhelm the, the civilian population, but it would come at a very high cost. Is this something on your, in your mind when you're as a gun holder, is the possibility of defending yourself against a foreign attack? Being so much inland? Have, have you ever watched Red Dawn? No, I haven't. I've heard of it. Ah, uh, well... The, the, the original version really uh, opened my eyes. Um, the, the mainland, like the, the I guess, uh, what, central U.S. is being uh, overwhelmed by uh, um, communist forces. Mm -hmm. And the first thing they did after they took control of the, uh, the area is they went to the gun registry and they isolated everyone that owned guns. And they either had to cough up the guns or face execution. So, hence, um, I understand if anyone's watched that movie, I would understand why they would hesitate to register any, any guns. Yes, that was... Uh in the movie, uh, that wasn't even registration as such, uh, but on a, in a similar vein though, uh, in the United States, when you buy a, a gun from a dealer, you fill out form uh, 4473, and uh, that is kept as a record for uh, the bureaucracy keeps changing the rules, but, but that's kept on record for some number of years. And yes, in the movie, that's what the uh, communists look through to, uh, to see who owned what. Yeah. Well, from a bureaucratic point of view, like you're saying already you think there is too much bureaucracy involved with gun ownership. What would you feel is the ideal? Would it be no registration required at all, or somewhere in between what we have now and that extreme? There's, to people that uh, have never taken an interest in the gun world, this may sound radical, but 
um, really, if you if you carefully think things through, there's no reason to have to to bar gun ownership from anyone because here's why: because honest people aren't a problem. People that aren't honest, the uh, criminally inclined, they're going to get whatever they want anyway. And they're, they're willing to do things that are already illegal, such as rob or murder. And looking at uh, pretty much every nation in the world where, uh, where guns are most freely available, those are the areas that have the least amount of crime because the honest people are always going to be the majority. And if a majority of people are armed or have the ability to be armed, uh, bad people are going to be quickly stopped if they attempt to do something terrible. So your view is absolutely, it should be as easy to get a gun as buying a book or an orange? Well, you know, in my lifetime, people people's memories are so short. <laughs> well, when I was uh, when I was a teenager, anyone could anyone that looked like they were age sixteen uh, could walk into any hardware store, any gun store, and buy long guns. Uh, now, Canada has had registration of handguns. Uh, for a long time, but uh, when I was young, you already could buy long guns with absolutely nothing but a wad of cash. And I did actually, I walked into uh, the local home hardware store, I'd buy a gun, sometimes it would be a used gun, wouldn't even be in a box, I'd walk out through the, uh, through the checkout, walk right past City Hall, with my new gun, nobody give you a second look, because it was normalized then. People mm -hmm. weren't told that you should be afraid of these things by government. I, right now, in order to buy um, a pellet gun or ammunition for a pellet gun, you have to be 18 years of, of age. My dad got, gave me my first pellet gun when I was about eight years old, and the deal was was I could, I could. Go like he 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 gave me very strict outlines as to how to handle the gun, mm -hmm. and it was good practice for me. But you could never shoot it towards anyone. Point the gun towards anyone, let alone shoot. Never point a gun towards anyone. Never um, shoot the gun towards across the road or towards a, a, any any house or household. Um, always shoot into a hill or shoot into a uh, a bush, and never shoot into the water. And that was basically the, the, the rules that I had. And um, he would um, give me a nickel for every starling I shot. And I think a package of pellets was about 60 cents. So I was struggling to get enough money <laughs> to buy the next package of pellets. So, yeah, yeah, so. We'd have three sons. And, uh, and uh, one, in, one is, is especially deeply interested in, in shooting and uh, so, so I made sure our boys were always around uh, and had the ability to shoot from the time they were able to hold one. And, uh, and I would watch. I taught them how to use them properly and safely. And uh, our one little guy, when he was 10, 12 years old, he'd have his friends over and, and uh, he'd want to go shooting. And, okay, you guys go ahead. And I'd watch. I watched closely from nearby, and and he did uh, he did beautifully. He showed his friend the same way I showed him, and there was no danger whatsoever. I should say for the audience too that Dennis was my first uh, instructor, much even my only instructor, and that was one of the things you kind of go into the you know you know it's a deadly weapon, but it's a deadly device. That's what it's designed for, and you go in feeling a little nervous and. It immediately starts feeling natural, and of course, you put in all the safety precautions. You're, you had control over, you know, you were very directional about what we should do and should not do, and there was, you know, clear guidelines. It wasn't like anarchy in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, it was a um, very natural feeling. I've even got a picture behind there of my wife getting uh, her first lesson with Dennis. 
And uh, she, you know, guns weren't a big thing for her, but she enjoyed it thoroughly. She was quite uh, surprised. Well, as she said, it was on her, her bucket list. She really wanted to try shooting uh, at least once, and, and so she, she accomplished that, and, and it, was, it was really fun uh, showing her. Mm -hmm. I think it should be a prerequisite for every citizen to at least know how to handle and shoot a gun. Whether they choose to purchase and own a gun is a different, different thing. If they, if they choose to purchase and own a gun, I think that they should be properly trained in the proper and safe um, handling of that weapon. Um, but I really think that it should be a prerequisite for every citizen to actually shoot a gun so they understand what it is and it's not this... But it's scary if you're at the wrong end of it, but if it's properly, <laughs> properly used, um, and, and quite frankly, um, if you don't understand what it is, you can't really understand how scary it is on the other end. Mm. So um, I really think that it, it properly supervised and properly used, I think everyone should at least shoot a gun once. Now, as a prerequisite, are you saying that more as a philosophical thing, or something you think you legal? You wouldn't enforce it as I, a law. I, I, no, I, <laughs> okay. I, I don't think it's something that would be uh, uh, enforceable. Yeah, I, but I, I think. Or scripture, if you don't learn how to use it. <laughs> I think more appropriately, I think we should, uh, as a society, we should encourage yeah. um, access to be able to do that um, more so than you know. I you know I happen to know a farmer who has a gun who might let me shoot it. Yeah. That kind of thing. So yeah. you know, we have more direct access to, to guns. Oh, it could be part of the school programs, I think. I would well, you know, I'm sorry, but you know... You're, you're the interviewer. It, it used to be. It yeah, used course. to be part of school Even programs. There are a lot of high schools around here in, in southern Ontario. There are a lot of high schools that still have a shooting range in the basement, which oh, generally aren't used anymore. But yes, it was a thing. It was a thing uh, that uh, kids used to bring their 22 rifle from home and bring it to school, mm -hmm, and uh, and at the end of the day, they would go shooting at the range at the school. And to me, that sounds like a much more practical skill than playing a video game version of the exact same thing. <laughs> it's, well, it's it's a more respectful version, uh, more respectful because you learn the power and the uh, implications of mishandling that weapon. Whereas a video game, you, get, you, you shoot someone, they die, who cares? You know, you get splatter, you know, this blood splatter and this gore all flows around, but uh, you know, there's no real consequence where in reality there's serious consequence. Well, let's uh, play a clip by our <coughs> prime minister here. <laughs> Just to have the other viewpoint, because we're, you know, don't want to seem biased. <laughs> and he's going to explain why we need to get rid of handguns. Mm, sure. We're introducing legislation to implement a national freeze on handgun ownership. What this means is that it will no longer be possible to buy, sell, transfer, or import handguns anywhere in Canada. In other words, we're capping the market for handguns. We're also fighting gun smuggling and trafficking by increasing maximum criminal penalties and providing more tools for law enforcement to investigate firearm crimes. And we'll require the permanent alteration of long gun magazines so they can never hold more than five rounds. These are actions that doctors, experts, and chiefs of police have been calling for for years, and we're acting on their advice. Let's be the most positive cancer. Is there anything in that that you agreed with? None. Nothing. Even about law enforcement reducing smuggling of guns across the border? I do not agree with any of that. Uh, let me begin with, first of all, he lied saying that uh, gun ownership and gun importation, that handgun importation is banned. Not true whatsoever. Government agencies can still import all they want. <laughs> so, so police are never, ever, ever going to be unarmed. What's the difference between you and I and a policeman? I'll give you the answer. 
Nothing. Nothing except that he is employed by government and you and I are not. It doesn't mean he's more trustworthy, more responsible. None of that. Well, and even in Canada, as opposed to the U.S., we're actually allowed to do citizen's arrest, which is a privilege in Canada compared to many other countries. We just don't have the firearm on our side to help help with that arrest. That's right. Yeah, legally we don't, and uh, and that's that's unfortunate. Not that not that everyone would want to carry if they could, but. Uh, but we'd have a better society if we had that uh, legitimate ability uh, to people that are interested in, and, uh, and have the, the, the acquired knowledge and skills to do so. There's an inherent respect. Now, we always like, we, we'd like to draw a comparison between us and the states sometimes, but there's an inherent respect amongst the average citizen in the United States. Um, to the extent that they can leave, legitimately leave their home unlocked. Um, now, I, I'm talking primarily rural um, United States, but they can legitimately leave their home unlocked indefinitely and not worry that their home's going to be invaded because there's that inherent right to protect themselves and protect their property. Um, we lack that in Canada here. It's a statistical fact that burglary rates nationwide, U.S. and Canada, are similar per capita. They're similar. But the big difference is, in the United States, it's rare for a burglar to enter a home where he knows or suspects someone's there. He'll enter a home when he's pretty sure no one's there. In Canada, it's, it's almost the other way around. Uh, burglars couldn't care less if someone's there and they know they're there. They enter anyway because they're not afraid of the homeowner hurting them or, or being able to legally do uh, to, to stop them yep. in, any, in any manner whatsoever. That's, that's actually a nice segue into the next thing I'd like to talk about, self-defense. It's a very convoluted system we have here in Canada. Um, it's, we, have to, we have to be assured that we are in what's it, the right way. We, we, we have to know that we are, are, are um, mortally um, at risk and we have, and, and, and if we if we aren't mortally at risk, then we are the ones that face the charge. Can face the charge. So a burglar can break into our home, and they can threaten us. But is if we're not harmed, they're they're basically uh, like they're free to go. Re relatively speaking, um, if we in you know if if we're surprised and, and we respond with what we think is appropriate force, and it's deemed to be excessive force, we can face jail time. Because someone broke into our house, and into our private abode, and our, pri our private space, and yet we become the ones that are, are at risk. So, um, I, I'd like your perspective on that, Dennis. I don't know if I've I, I, that is <clears throat> so true. That is so true. And even though I am a, a Canadian citizen, um, my family and I, we almost moved to the United States 20, over 20 years ago, but we didn't. But we have spent lots of time in the United States, and, uh, and generally I feel more, I feel generally safer there than I do here because of, uh, of the fact that uh, most everywhere that we go, uh, people can defend themselves without legal repercussions if they needed to. Mm -hmm. Well, we had, we had Trudeau's point of view there. Why don't I point, put up um, Maxime Bernier's view, his policies, views on self-defense, and see if you like them any better than Trudeau. <laughs> 
Let's do it. <laughs> I want to announce a new People's Party of Canada policy today with regard to crime and the right of Canadians to defend themselves against violent crime in particular. Crime is a rising concern in many regions of the country, including in rural areas like here in Portage Lisgar, where many houses are isolated and police stations are sometimes many tens of kilometers away. One obvious way to deter crime is to make it clear to criminals that there are laws and enforcement means in place that make it likely that they will be caught and severely punished. Another is the fear that their victims are going to defend themselves. Any justice system grounded in morality and reason allows self-defense. In Canada, this right is, however, inconsistently applied due to the law's complexity and imprecision. There have been many cases over the past years when honest citizens who defended themselves against violent assailants were themselves charged. And then, when a trial, uh, when, when, and then when on trial because they used force that was not deemed reasonable in the circumstances and uh, and proportionate to the perceived threat. Section thirty-four of the Criminal Code states in what circumstances individuals can use force to defend themselves or others if force is being used or threatened against them or others. Section 36 recognizes certain circumstances where an individual is justified in using physical force against another person to protect his or her property for being entered, taken, and damaged or destroyed. According to Ontario lawyer Edward Burley, who has been involved in self-defense cases involving the use of firearms, Although the criminal code was amended in 2013 to cl clarify these uh, self-defense uh, sections in the criminal code, the law remains uh, imprecise. It has been uh, uh, dealt with on a very uneven basis. It has been primarily driven by the individual opinions and emotions of police and prosecutors. End of quote. A recent case is that of a Manitoba man, Dakota Pratt, who was uh, uh, sentenced to five years in prison in 2018 after being convicted of manslaughter in the death of a person who entered his house in the middle of the night and attacked him with a knife. The resident took the assailant's weapons and stabbed stab him 13 times. The judge said he had a right to protect himself, but went beyond what was necessary for self-defense. Condemning a person to years in prison for having made the wrong assessment of a perceived threat or having used too much force to defend themselves while in a state of panic after being violently attacked is clearly a breach of the on universal human right self-defense. Such legal proceedings can destroy a person's mental health, family life, and livelihood, even they are not found guilty of an offense. Victims of robbery are typically advised to call the police and avoid any confrontation with assailants while waiting for the police to arrive. In rural areas, however, police stations are often far away 
and it can take a long time for the police to arrive at the, the scene of a crime. The threat that a victim may retaliate with force is a crucial way to deter crime. Beyond the right to defend yourself in your home, it should be possible to defend yourself anywhere. However, the criminal code specifically makes it illegal to carry and use even non-lethal devices such as paper spray as modes of defense against the potential attackers. This offense is punishable by imprisonment for up to 10 years. This makes women in particular even more defenseless and prone to fall victim to aggression and sexual violence. Canadians should be able to defend themselves in circumstances where they are violently attacked or are victims of robbery in their own house without fear of criminal charges. Everybody, and women in particular, should be allowed to carry uh, effective means of self-defense against aggressions and rapists, against aggressors and rapists. I'm therefore announcing the following policy. A People's Party government will first amend Section 34 of the Criminal Code to clarify and fortify the right to self-defense and increase the burden of proofs necessary to charge and convict victims who use the force to defend themselves against a violent attacker. Second, amend Section 35 of the Criminal Code to include the concept of the individual <coughs> inviolability of one's home, known as Castle Doctrine, that allows victims to use force up to and including deadly force to defend themselves against a violent intruder <coughs> from, uh, free from legal prosecution. And finally, a PPC government will amend the criminal code to remove paper spray from the list of uh, prohibited weapons and make it legal to possess and carry it for self-defense. Do you agree with them? I do. I'm curious to know whether you think you would add a few other items than just pepper spray to the allow weapons <laughs> to be carried around, but... Well, I have to ask people, are, is, is your life and my life, are we all worth less than, um, shall we say, uh, a policeman? Uh, are lives worth mm -hmm. less than his? Because police can do, uh, in a grave situation, they can, in fact, in any situation, they can, uh, they can use uh, whatever amount of force they, they deem necessary to, uh, to defend themselves. And that's, that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But what is wrong is that they can and we cannot. Mm -hmm. I think that he, the, the words he had used that it's immoral and unreasonable to have that double standard. Very much so. Mm -hmm. The socialist theory is that the cops should be able to protect us, serve and protect. That's, um, that's the theory. Um, as Maxine pointed out, in rural areas, it's virtually impossible for the police to arrive in a timely fashion, um, even in urban areas. Um, I, I, I know a situation in Wyerton where a restaurant owner is being harassed by certain individuals and the police refuse to do anything about it. Mm -hmm. Refuse? Um, refuse. Refuse. Absolutely refuse. Yes. Yes. Um, the, I know, I know situations um, where um, hunters have gotten into altercation with, like a, a landowner has gotten into altercation with illegal hunters. Call the cops. Cops refuse to come out. Refuse to have anything to do with it. Okay, this, this is this is wrong. This is not in the police's. 
police mandate, the police mandate is to serve and protect. That means they serve and they protect. And if, they're, if, they're, if their service is requested, they need to respond, period. Um, I know another situation They where respond when we just had a picnic during lockdown. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> a, a low threat situation, yeah. A yeah, zero threat zero situation. Threat. Yeah, a zero threat situation. Could I tell you a little anecdote about police behavior? Uh, many decades ago, we used to um, we used to use the, the local police range for, uh, for as our, our gun club used the local police range, and we, it was a very friendly arrangement. Uh, and we used to have bi-yearly competitions with the police, which, oh. which we always won, but anyway, uh, you know, gradually from about 1992, when there was a, a huge pile of gun bans passed, uh, it was, that was quite a, quite a large one, where uh, there were a lot of things you couldn't do or own any longer. And I noticed from around that time onwards that our relationship with the local police got less and less warm as new, uh, new, new ones were hired. And I believe it's, it's directly related to, um, to gun ownership in that as we were legally not permitted as much freedom as we used to have, theirs, theirs of course, was infinite, mm -hmm. as it always had been. And it, it made a great many of them uh, believe in the backs of their minds that somehow they were better than us because they could do anything they wanted and, and we, we uh, regular folks could not. Anyway, it, it, it progressed and, and got cooler and cooler until we, uh, we, we didn't uh, use the police station any longer as, a, as our meeting spot. And anyway, I do believe that that was directly related to, uh, to uh, the uh, restrictions in gun laws on us. I tend to agree. I spend, like I said earlier, I spend a fair bit of time over in the United States. And the cops there, there's a, there's a, a, a mutual respect. Mm -hmm. like, like the cops respect the citizens, especially the law-abiding citizens. And, and the, the, the citizens respect the cops. And they expect the cops to do their job when they're called on to do their job. And the citizens are expected to obey the law. Um, and that mutual respect is, uh, is, is healthy. Well, by criminalizing guns in some ways, that, or cr criminalizing gun ownership, it was almost in some way like you were becoming more and more criminal the more laws they introduced. That's exactly And I think right. that's how the cops start looking upon you as a criminal. That's exactly Or a semi-criminal. Uh, that's exactly right. That somehow we were lesser. We were just, uh, as we were legally uh, allowed to do less things than they could, <clears throat> they looked on us as lesser, lesser people, that, that somehow we were... Uh, not as good. Not as good, and we were just uh, criminals waiting for the right moment to come out. <laughs> Do you think this is a fair argument that if there was larger gun ownership and more people owning guns, it would actually make it safer for the police to do their job? A hundred percent. That is exactly right. And in, uh, in, uh, in many parts of the world, the, the uh, most gun uh, the states with the most gun freedom in the United States, they're the lowest crime areas around. Mm -hmm. I'd like to point out that <clears throat> there, are, uh, there are quite a few states that have what's known as constitutional carry, where there, mm -hmm. there are no longer concealed carry permits. Um, in the United States, some places differentiate between open carry and concealed, but regardless, there are plenty of places now where you can carry concealed without a permit and in which case um, if you're carrying it certainly it's a it's wise and a good idea to uh, to mention this to a policeman if you happen to get stopped at, uh, at a traffic stop 
but uh, he wouldn't know whether you are or not in such circumstances. That's right, yeah. Yeah, I would assume the cop would go into every situation assuming that that's a possibility. Well, they do, they yeah. absolutely yeah. do. So that's, declaration or not seems somewhat irrelevant to me, almost like gun registration. That's exactly right, exactly. When, it, when, a, when police go anywhere, they have no idea what they're going to encounter. And that's so, why they have a gun. <laughs> yes, and so that's why it doesn't matter. Uh, it really doesn't matter what what anyone says. They're going to act the same anyway. They're going to act like they might be encountering a bad situation, just to be ready, just in case they're out. I got an interesting clip here I'd like you to see by the chief of police. I know you're not a big fan of police officers, but I'm curious to see what you think of his opinion. City councillor is calling for I can tell you that the Canadian Association of Chiefs of Police have indicated that that won't make any difference. When we seize handguns, the handguns are always almost 100% in the possession of people who have no legal right to possess them. They're almost always stolen or illegally obtained. I simply don't see as a 27-year veteran how adding another layer of law will make any difference anywhere in this country. When we stop somebody in this city and police do this every single day and they have a handgun, somehow saying that this jurisdiction, that Winnipeg is handgun free, and I'll use air quotes, is going to make it safer or easy for us is just nonsense. It won't make any difference whatsoever. Somebody saying, well, it's illegal to have that gun in Winnipeg is just another layer of, and I guess it might make some people feel good, but it will not change the threat level one iota. If you want guns, you're going to be able to get handguns. And saying somehow that they shouldn't be legal, and, 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 the, and, the, and the discussions are, uh, from what I understand, that they should be illegal in certain jurisdictions. So I legally own a gun in, um, you know, Ildashane, and it gets stolen, it gets brought into Winnipeg, the current laws deal with all of that very effectively. And having some jurisdictional law in a particular area, and, and I can tell you this in terms of all of my colleagues who own guns as part of our job as law enforcement and investigate gun issues every day, the people at the forefront of that just shrug their shoulders and go, I guess if it makes someone somewhere think that they're doing something, that's great. But that's not what's going to happen. It will not change one thing. That is a very wise man. I would love to have him for a neighbor. He's spot on. Spot on, yes. It, what he said would also apply to any other gun, not just handguns. Oh, absolutely. Sure. Uh, a gun is a gun, by the way. It really doesn't matter whether it's a long gun, a handgun. Uh, a fully automatic one, a semi-automatic. It doesn't matter. A single shot. A gun is a gun. Mm -hmm. And and a gun is only, um, it's only a weapon. If you choose it to be, look up the definition of weapon. Uh, same as a knife or a hammer or a screwdriver. Or a they car. Can, or a car, yeah. precisely. Or, or a car gallon, keys. Or a gallon of gasoline. Yeah. That can be a weapon if you choose it to be, or it can be used for wonderful things like cutting your lawn. So. I guess maybe just to be the devil's advocate here, with the guns though, the gun only has one purpose to be used as a weapon. Is there another use for a gun that you can think of other oh, than decoration? Certainly is. Guns Art. are wonderful for wrecking. That's part one of our interview with Dennis Dill. Next week we'll be releasing part two, where we cover why guns don't kill people. Fathers with pretty daughters do. Why Dennis believes it's a mental illness to be afraid of a gun. How guns are critical for protecting our food supply from small vermin and much larger and more dangerous ruminants. Why hunting licenses may still be justified but are usually overdone and why Dennis thinks small game licenses are stupid. How history shows that only governments with tyrannical or homicidal intent have ever banned their citizens from owning guns. Why Trudeau and his bodyguards are being hypocritical by banning handguns. 
Dennis reacts to a MacGyver fan explaining why guns are evil and unnecessary, as long as you have some duct tape. Why the U.S. does not have the most gun violence in the world, as many claim. Pepper spray laws that will baffle your mind. Why an increase in any form of violence is a reflection of a breakdown of the family, lack of parenting, divorce, poverty, opiates, drug addiction, and other societal ills that have nothing to do with gun ownership. And finally, Dennis's reaction to the PPC's firearm policy. All that is coming in the next episode. Be sure to become an email subscriber at perfwellingtonppc.ca so you don't miss out. And while you're there at the website, please consider making a tax-deductible donation. This year, we are launching a large local campaign wherein we will be advertising video content like this show via postcards, flyers, and letters delivered to people's doorsteps, directing them to our website, growing our mailing list of supporters so that we can win the next election. There is enormous cost in printing, delivering, and managing such an aggressive campaign. A donation of any size will help us reach more people so that Wayne Baker becomes the new member of Parliament for Perth Wellington. Please go to perthwellingtonppc.ca or see the links below to make a one-time or monthly tax-deductible donation. If you have any questions about the PPC's policy, please feel free to email or telephone us and a representative will be happy to meet with you in person or on the phone. Canada is at a historical crossroads between tyranny and freedom. Please visit perfwellingtonppc.ca and help fund the road that will protect us and our children's future from government overreach, woke ideology, and other irrational policies that are incompatible with freedom fairness, respect, and justice. Freedom is where there's neither tyranny nor anarchy, where the government works to keep people free. The PPC won't lock us down in a big nanny state. They'll leave us in peace to make this country great. This production was approved by the Perth Wellington Electoral District Association of the People's Party of Canada.